Welcome to the Software People Stories. I'm Shiv. I'm Chitra. And I'm Gaiti. We bring you interesting untold stories of people associated with the creation or consumption of software-based solutions. You'll hear stories of what worked and sometimes what didn't. You will also hear very personal experiences and insights that would trigger your thoughts and inspire you to do even greater things. In this episode, my co-host Gayatri continues a conversation with Dan Balkowski, founder and chief pricing officer at Product Tranquility, a company that helps high-volume B2B SaaS CEOs define pricing and packaging for new products. Gayatri asked him what challenges he faced when he became a consultant. Before answering that, Dan shares how he did a solo backpacking around the world trip and the transformational experiences he got from that and how he had to talk himself away from the self talk that would shoot any ideas for entrepreneurship wanting to explore a brain for hire kind of a model to see if he could sell his expertise and raising the bar by challenging himself to doing something different and more and identifying and validating the niche that he wanted to be in that of a saas pricing advisory he also shares why he did not consider a model of being a fractional product manager role as a consultant he shares some of the inflection points in his career over the years and how he has been able to support global clients remotely and finally his advice for young professionals who want to take up product management as a career listen on so dan uh, let me ask this uh, you know what what kind of a challenges did you have when you had to start becoming a consultant i mean leaving a cushy job leaving a nice job right uh, it is not easy what how did you make that happen what how did you make the decision well this could be an entire conversation on its own i'll try to keep it <laughs> relatively short so Um yeah. So before I started my company, I actually this is pre-COVID times. Um I'd left my previous firm and I was traveling around the world. I I did a solo backpacking expedition for a year and a half completely around the world. It started in uh Fiji and New Zealand and and you know, ended with 7 months in South America, went entirely around the around the globe. Um and so you know, during that time, uh it was a very transformational set of experiences for in multiple dimensions and a lot of time we're sitting there on a you know long plane or bus ride or s- sitting on the top of a mountain staring off at the the beautiful horizon you're like well what do I want to do with my life and i'd always had this idea that i would start a business and as a product leader i was like well you know i'm going to start a software company one thing i know about myself is i'm a little too pragmatic and deliberative and what i was mean by that is you know i'm very good at shooting holes in even my own ideas let alone other people's ideas and so i feel like for the software product entrepreneur like you are in a position where you need to will something into existence 
that everyone is telling you is a terrible idea. Oh, Microsoft will just build that or Google will build it and you'll, you know, that's just, that's dumb. Why would anybody want that? And you've got to face that for years. And I find that I, I kill my own ideas with that kind of self-talk. So I never found an idea of myself that I was passionate about. But one thing I was confident in was myself. I was like, look, I, I'm confident I can do something. So let me go try to you know, sell my services as you know a uh, you know, brain for rent, right? And that's what kind of consultants are, you know, in a nutshell. And look, it wasn't an easy start. Um, I don't think it. I don't know if it ever gets easy. Um, you know, there's still challenges. You know, every stage, right? It's like, I, akin to playing a video game. You know, you play level one and that was hard and you win level one, you get to level two and level two is harder, right? So, you know, it's not like you get to level two and you're like, oh, well now I just, you know, that's not an interesting video game, right? It just, it just keeps on, you're just taking on bigger and bigger challenges, right? So I don't think it ever gets, it's easy, right? Because you're always kind of pushing to the next, to the next goal, to the next level. Um, but I think, you know, one thing is, you know, over time, my focus did shift. You know, I didn't start, you know, purely uh, focused on pricing and packaging, Oh, that's all I focus on now. I focused uh, early on. I, I had a broader umbrella, kind of think of more of a fractional chief product officer. Pricing and packaging was one of the areas that I, you know, messaged and said, "Hey, I can help with this." You know, among you know other many other things. Um, but just over time, in talking to the market, doing a lot of research, realized that a lot of companies were really struggling with this area specifically, and just decided, ultimately. You know, if I want to become one of the world's leading experts in this, in anything, I'm going to have to pick a pick a lane. And so it was a it was an interesting lane to me for a whole series of reasons. Obviously, I had some background experience in, you know, but like anything else, right? You when you get into it, you think you know a lot, and then you start getting even further, and you're like, oh my god, I I didn't I didn't know anything. Like I, so you know, it's it's you're you're question earlier was was definitely appropriate right until you you know pick a lane right i think you you assume that you know a lot more than people you know than you think um you know i had a had a client who you know they told me they were like look i thought i knew a lot about pricing and packaging and then i started working with you and i realized i knew nothing and i was like yeah like i i, I went through the same transition you know um but you know we get them there. We get them there, right? Uh, we don't want them to stay there. That's not the. That's not. We get we get them to we get them to the mountaintop. Um, but uh, but yeah. So that's how it evolved for me. Wow, fantastic! And it's always hard to start something new and uh, create something for yourself as well as know that that's your legacy, right? I, uh, this is uh, this is very personal. Oh, I, I don't think I don't think about anything as so so grand as legacy. <laughs> okay you don't <laughs> because i look at your website and i also see all these podcasts that you've done i love the content that you've created honestly then i think uh maybe that that is uh, me talking in the evening uh, after a long day that i feel that's a legacy in terms of you what you've created and create that sort of a model that will work for others because you don't necessarily have to work for somebody or neither do you have to create your own uh, firm with um, thousands of people that, that this is something that consulting mm. and being available for hire is a very one good one but i'm i'm surprised that you didn't go through the fractional cxo role Dan. did you even consider that or it was too hard for you um, you know 
it wasn't of interest. Yeah, no, I, I started that direction. So I think, you know, if I if I look at, you know, when I got back from my travels and decided I was going to jump into the consulting role, I, I thought in terms of fractional chief product officer. And, you know, that was... I had, there was a couple of assumptions there because I had seen, I had friends who were fractional chief marketing officers. I had friends who were chief financial, fractional chief financial officers. And I saw that it was a viable model. And I saw very few people doing a fractional chief product officer uh, type model. So, you know, the, the product person in me said, either this is a golden opportunity or it's a terrible idea. I'm going to go find out which it is. And the only way to verify that in the market is to go try and do it. I found out it's generally a terrible idea. Um, there's a reason most people are not doing a fractional chief product officer um, role, especially in the technology industry. It may work in maybe non-tech. And, you know, this is a this is a longer conversation, but I think the, the nut of the... Uh, the argument rests on the fact that like, if we think about the role of product management, product management is a relatively new function. Let's say it's three, four decades old. I believe, you know, from the lore, it was started by Microsoft and Microsoft didn't invent the idea. They took inspiration from the consumer packaged goods, Unilever, Procter and Gamble, Record Bank, Keezer, those type of companies. And those companies for years had the concept of a brand manager. So if you think about the CPG companies, the core asset of the companies is the brand. It's not really the product. The brand is the core asset. And so the brand manager is one of the internal person responsible in the company for managing the core asset of the business. In a technology company, the product manager is managing the core asset of that business, the product. So it is the difference between CPG and, and technology and, and how that role changes. And so I think fundamentally a fractional chief product officer, I'm not saying it's impossible and I wish anyone best, better luck than I had in, in trying to pull that off. Uh, I, you know, uh, but I think there's a, a distinct reason why you don't see that at the level you see fractional uh, chief legal counsel, fractional CMO, fractional CFO roles on the product side is because having, you know, that's such a core asset of the business that you really need someone full-time internal to be the walking personification of that. Yeah, I actually see what you're saying because uh, product uh, to that extent, it's a core. It's not something that, you know, you can fractionalize it. And if you're doing that, then maybe that's not the business that you want to be in. And that, that and it also leads to your own, uh, you know, brand awareness and, ability to research uh, how much to research will be up to the product team and if you make it fractional it sort of loses its value so to speak i i, I get what you're saying dan mm. so uh, when we talk about product pricing as well as you know the whole fractionalism if you will uh, one of the side questions that i have is i I hear what you're saying in terms of you want you gone for a worldwide trip and took a decision there. Uh, what has been the other inflection points in your career then um, that you are okay to share for our listeners? I think we've touched on yeah. I think we've touched on a couple of them, right? Was so I think um, you know there was uh, one major inflection point when I realized you know at that other 
company, you know, pre-business school that you know, ultimately I was interested in leaving the engineering world behind and focusing more on the, the product world or, or the value, you know, creation side. Um, I think that was a key inflection point. I think another inflection point was, you know, I had a, a mentor um, and he had, uh, he gives, you know, talks uh, around the world on you know, product strategy and being a product leader. And uh, he had a whole presentation that he had given on how to manage your product career. And one of the things that he talked through was, you know, he had had this dream of being CEO eventually. And at one point he had talked to a mentor and his mentor asked him, look, given, you know, your strengths, do you really want to be CEO? Because this is what it's going to take. And this is what you say your interests and strengths are. And he took a hard look and he said, no, actually I don't. I, like I would much hap be happier being the, you know, second in command, chief product officer, VP of product, you know, um, and, and now he's a, you know, uh, product, you know, thought leader um, and teaches, you know, product strategy workshops, et cetera. Um, but realize that CEO rolls off for me. And so I think, you know, that had a very impound impact. It had a lot of impact on me because it made me, you know, I think, you know, for, for better or worse, right? I think we all kind of just, we if we join a corporate job out of school, you sort of look up the ladder and you're like, well, I guess, I guess I'm climbing up this ladder and what's at the top of the ladder, right? Even if it's not an explicit decision, you're like, well, I guess I get, you know, continue to do well and get promoted. And eventually somehow, I, you know, even, you know, it's just, it's sort of in the water, even if maybe, you know, maybe that's more of an American thing. I don't know if that is cross-cultural, uh, but, you know, especially for, I think there's, you know, a lot of my, my peers, I went to business school, right? I think it's an explicit uh, destination for them. And in fact, I know it is because some of them have told me and some of them are in those CEO roles now. Um, but uh, for me, I, I realized that that wasn't uh, my, you know, being CEO of a large company wasn't you know, my ideal uh, path either, right? And so I think that, that freed me from a thought pattern uh, as well, right? And that, and that happened, you know, prior to that around the world trip so that, you know, as I was exploring what would be, you know, possible avenues forward, it was like, you know, I could put, you know, it didn't answer the question, but it allowed me to put aside, you know, a lot of noise, we'll say. Yeah. And it's also setting an expectation on what you want to do. Sometimes that's sort of frees you to say, what is it that I want to do? And it also helps saying that, what is it that I don't want to do? That's very deep that I, I also like the fact that you <laughs> gave yourself room to understand what you like, starting from software and saying, hey, these are things that I can do, but I don't want to do. And these are my interests. And, uh, you know, skilling yourself, creating expertise. So uh, when uh, you doing all this right, what has location strategy been done um, as a you know, being a product and a pricing per, you know, expert, do you, are you really doing so much of travel across the globe or not for personal reason, but for professional reason? What is uh, that uh, location played a strategy for you? You're in Austin, Texas, right? 
No, uh, you know, I would say, yeah, I'm in Austin, Texas. I would say that, you know, if there is a silver lining to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, it was the fact that everyone went remote and all expectation of, of travel was just thrown out the window. Um, I was lucky. So just, I guess, con context setting, I, I came back from my travels that we discussed at the it was basically four years ago. So it was, it was beginning of July of 2019. So let's say, you know, the first month I was catching up on a year and a half of, of mail that I hadn't looked at, uh, <laughs> and getting, you know, different, uh, different other life things, uh, reset up, uh, getting my car re-registered and stuff like that. Uh, and then, you know, kind of in earnest, probably almost exactly four years ago of August, of 2019, getting the company, you know, kind of going, I'm like, okay, this is what I'm gonna go out and try to do. And I was, I was lucky. I, I landed a couple of clients, um, in relatively short order. Um, and those, you know, one was remote off the bat and one was based in Austin. Uh, and then fast forward, you know, not very long, but about three, four months later, and all of a sudden we're in full lockdown because of COVID. Um, and then, you know, so a lot of the, you know, it's, uh, from the nascent, uh, aspects of the business, it was either local or then, you know, it was like I had clients in, you know, Central Europe, in in uh, the UK, in Canada, West Coast Canada, East Coast of the US, West Coast of the US. Uh, and there was no expectation from any of them that I would ever travel because they didn't even have anywhere for me to travel to. It'd be like, oh, yeah, we're based in Vancouver. But if you show up in Vancouver, like nobody's going to be in an office because everyone's, you know, at home. And then um, it's been very similar since. So, um, which is fine. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to travel, but it's also not an expectation. And I don't think the work that, you know, we do, uh, there's a couple of things I think benefit from being in the same room as somebody. Uh, but I would say for the most part, uh, we, you know, are able to get the work we need to get done uh, perfectly fine in a remote environment. Yeah. And the whole working in, in the in the office by itself needs to be done only when there is really touch time of your minds. And you don't need that sort of a thing more and more. You need the more and more of understanding of where you are aligned towards and ensuring that that happens, right? Uh, very true. Um, the part where we are all learning new ways of living, working, right? I think uh, uh, very well said at that. I know uh, we are uh, close to the completion and I want to uh, ask this question. If um, you wanted to share some, uh, you know, advice for young people in software um, or uh, thinking of moving into the product world, what would be your few advices so that they can learn from your journey? Oh, man. Well, there's, you know, there's a lot out there, you know, there's a lot of learnings um, to be had, you know, I, I teach a product strategy course for Kellogg through their executive education program, been doing that for a couple of years. And so I, I see a lot of, you know, nascent uh, budding product managers, we get a, quite a good distribution of people who are just have never done product management before and people have been doing it for decades, maybe had no formalized training and doing it. I would say the number one thing, if I had a billboard for any product manager, it's like, don't be afraid and just go talk to your customers. Like you just, there's nothing else to be said there. Just, you know, if you're not talking to your customers, you're not really doing your job. Um, and I mean, there's obviously, there's a lot of nuance there of, of, you know, 
how do you set the processes and what do you ask, et cetera. But, you know, if, if you're just sitting behind an analytics dashboard looking at numbers, um, you're not really doing the, the, the real work of product management because nobody is nobody else at the company is in a position to get the real deep insights on the customer's pain that you are um, if you go have sort of in-depth conversations because they're, they're, they're guards are down. You're not trying to sell them anything. They're not angry because they're in a support situation. You can have a very deep um, level of conversation around the context that they're in, their their daily struggles, what else is going on in their environment, how they, you know, their perceptions of your company, et cetera. I would say the other thing is start learning about pricing. Um, there's very little formal training out there. A couple of books I, I can recommend if folks are interested, but, you know, uh, I think it's a, it's a valuable skill. Uh, I think one of the Think about that product strategy course. You know, one of the I think more challenging sections or assignments that we have is we talk about uh, a business model case. We um, in the specifics of the case, it's like a, a razor razor blades business model and uh, going through a, a unit level uh, profit and loss model. And we find a lot of product managers have never actually had to work through the financials of a company. They spend a lot of their time in Jira writing user stories and are experts at writing user stories and acceptance criteria. But look, as you go up the ranks, like your executives don't talk in Jira. They talk in dollars and cents. How is this thing going to make me money? Um, and so, you know, pricing is a great way to force yourself into that world of like, hey, we're putting, I'm asking the engineers to write this code. It's going to result in this feature. It's going to affect this customer's life somehow. How much are they willing to pay for that? How much money can we get? How many of those customers are out there that are willing to pay that? So what is that going to mean in terms of the revenue? What is that going to mean in terms of the cost of the business? Because ultimately, that's the question your CEO wants to get answered. He's like, yeah, these features, okay, a roadmap slide, I get it. Like, what is this good? Like, I'm, I'm you know, investing tens of millions of dollars in R&D every year. What is going to be my return? And I just feel like, you know, for all of the good product management and courses and books out there too few uh, are spent on really having training product people to really speak effectively to their CEO, CFO, to the board, right? Um, because because of that lack. So very very well put, Dan. In fact, uh, I use this term for uh, I coach product owners in my field, right? So I actually tell the product management team think of each sprint has $20,000, which is going out of your pocket. What is the most, what is the most valuable thing that you will buy in that? That sort of opens their mind. Oh, that's how to think about it. They used to think, oh, I had to just write user stories. I had to just prioritize because Gayatri asked me to do it. So that's very, very well done. Man. I think I love it. Um, it's not about Jira. It's not about, uh, you know, how well it is written. But Knowing your customers, be go in front of the customers. I'll, I'll say one more point. I'll say one more point. I'll say one more point. I think this is a, a point of, of encouragement is that, yes, go study all of, you know, read the Marty Kagan books, read the, you know, uh, go take the product management courses, um, read the pricing books. Uh, that said, the real world is way messier than the books and articles make it seem. Uh, so do not get discouraged if you, you know, read these things and then you're like, well, yeah, but you know, okay, but we've got all these like edge cases and stuff. So, you know, tying our whole conversation back together, you know, this is where, you know, the 
kind of the real world of learning from you know clients is like oh like oh you guys do it this way or, or you have this constraint okay that constraint that you know breaks this part of the model okay so then how do we sort of you know work around that you know specific kind of constraint because of an industry right we're talking about you know so sort of regulated environment or something like that so you know but you know don't be discouraged like no book is or blog post is ever written with guidance that is going to take every situation and nuance into account. And so do not be discouraged when you see those things and then try to apply them and they don't work out exactly as expected. Uh, that is the expected outcome is, but then you, you kind of learn and adapt uh, and go forward from there. Very well put. Keep learning, keep adapting and uh, stay true to the customers. Lovely, Dan. Thank you so much for your time. And I feel like, you know, I have got a queer, you know, queer fastest, product uh, understanding as well as pricing that I can get in uh, less than 40 minutes. Wonderful time. Thank you so much for your time for Software People Stories. Thank you for having me. We thank Siddharth for the music and Anita for promoting the Software People Stories. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast client and spread the word in your network. If you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com.